You're listening to Creatives Prevail, unraveling the stories of creative professionals. Hello and welcome everybody to Creatives Prevail. I am your wonderful host, Mike Zimmerlick, and my next guest is alternative artist, Sari X. In this interview, we discuss finding your sound as well as the influence of gaming in Sari X's brand. We also get into strategies on Spotify growth, leading to over 73,000 followers, as well as their top song reaching over 2.4 million streams. We also discuss their collaborations with Frank Zumo from Sum41, as well as Titus. Let's get into it. Hey Alexa, how's it going? I'm good, how are you doing? I'm doing great, thanks. I'm so happy I get to see you. It's been so long. And <laughs> it has. The last time I believe we saw each other was uh, at the time I was managing an artist uh, by the name of Ben Anderson, who's one of the sweetest people I've ever met in my life. He's just a, such a sweetheart, and I loved working with him so much. And his label was Electric Lotus, which you were an internet at the time. And it was really <laughs> exciting because you were so you enthusiastic about being there and, and just being a part of everything. And even then, I knew you mentioned about really getting becoming an artist yourself. And I was so excited for you um, about your passion behind it. And now look at you have developed Sorry X and the amazing sets that you've already done with it is just incredible. So congratulations on that fact. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, it's definitely been a while, hasn't it? <laughs> it has. It definitely has. So do you remember like how you got back, how you got inter interested into music to begin with? Um, It's kind of a weird thing. My, my parents do love rock music and stuff, and they did take me to concerts and things like that. And my grandpa did buy me a guitar when I was in second grade. But um, I feel like it was more so in middle school when I really realized that I loved rock music and just wanted to be in a band. And I didn't care what I played. I just wanted to be a part of it. And my friends needed a bassist. So that's how I kind of got introduced to it. And I remember like at school, my friends would teach me a little bit in between classes how to play guitar and stuff. Um, so that's, that's where it really started. And then it was in high school when I realized I liked singing actually. I was just in a band and they needed uh, a singer. And I was playing bass for the band, but I gave it a shot and they were really encouraging, which was surprising to me because I had never really thought of myself as a singer at all. But then I realized I really loved it just because it helped me get out my emotions and I could, I loved writing lyrics and I liked poetry at the time. So I feel like I've turned all that into the lyrics, you know. So that's really great to have that, that early encouragement to figuring out what you want to do and to be a part of a, you know, part of a rock band and to go down that path. There's a major step from there into pursuing it as a career. Do you remember at what moment in time that you decided, okay, this is not even just a passion, but I really want to see if I can make something of this and actually make it into a profession. Do you remember, was there any moment that you decided to make, to make that decision? I'd always been super serious about music, whether I, I think I'm the kind of person that just like, I can't do anything um, without my whole heart into it. So um I had always been kind of the leader in my bands wanting to make sure we were doing music videos and things when it wasn't always, you know, sometimes people just wanted to be in a chill cover band and I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, we have to get to work. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think a pivotal moment for me was I was at a heart concert and I was just super inspired and I just remember leaving like, that. at the time I was not in a band and I was like, all right, you know what, I'm getting a band together and I'm going to actually do this. And then that started my first kind of real project before Sorry X, which was just like a fun cover band called Low Standard. 
Um, definitely taught me a lot, uh, which I've incorporated a lot of those elements and things I've learned into my project now. But, um, you know, things have turned very different since then, basically. Do you remember one of the lessons that you've learned from that project that you brought over to SariX? Definitely. I think the biggest ones are just stage performance. Um, I got to practice a lot on smaller stages and just when no one really knew who I was. And that helped me a lot, especially with growing, like you said, quickly. It was just that by the time I started this new project, although I didn't expect people to listen, I had already, I was ready. I was prepared for people to listen, basically. That's a lot of it, right? Is that, uh, what is it? Opportunity is luck plus preparedness, I think is the the way that it's said, that the motto, something along those lines. But it's true is that you can have all this intention in the world, but if you're not prepared for it, you're really, you're, you're really not taking advantage of it. You just, it's just going to be, end up being a fleeting moment at that point. Yeah, totally. So moving from then from project to project was, I know that uh, obviously we talked about before about your internship. Um, can you talk a little bit more about internships in general and some of the things that you learned from them? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely a big fan of education. I'm all about it. Um, especially for women, educate yourselves as much as you can. I think education should be free. Maybe that's controversial, but um, I think internships are an amazing way to get started. I've learned that the industry is a lot more about doing and being places and know who you know, um, which it can be really hard to make those connections unless you, you know, you have to start somewhere. You have to like physically show up and just be present. Um, so when I got an internship at a music label locally, that was definitely the start of like, wow, this is a real thing. People actually do this because I, you know, I was around bands and I was in venues and stuff, but I had no idea how to get started. I really didn't know that many people that were taking it, you know, as a business that were professional and serious about it. Um, so that was the, definitely a turning point of learning, like a lot of the fundamentals of like how le record labels function. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I was really grateful to have that experience and that definitely taught me a lot, just more so practicing like my like photography skills, marketing skills, things like that. It must have been really, I don't want to use the word scary, but a little daunting to reach out to a record label because I know that being on the record label side, I'll have uh, I'll have students ask for internships and I know it can be a very, you know, very nervous thing to go ahead and do so. Was that, how did you, how did you approach getting the internship? Did you just send an email? Like, like what, what did you do to actually secure that internship? Totally. Yeah. I think I just, I did a lot of research on labels in the area and then I reached out through email with some, you know, of my references and stuff like that. Um, and it was a little nerve wracking, but I feel like I've always felt at home being in a music environment. Like I just love it. I feel like people who are into music, you just know and feel, I feel so comfortable. So um, I just felt like I, I was like, yeah, this is where I need to be, you know, in the studio, especially. I love it. <laughs> So taking all the the knowledge from your internship and then, of course, your projects in the past leading up to Sorry X, I understand that creatively was also a challenge as well, just trying to find your own voice in all of this. So can you talk a little bit about the creative process that you went through to ultimately the sound that you developed for Sorry X specifically? Yeah, totally. I think that is an interesting and interesting thing, and it's a pivotal part of every artist's journey. It's not that you don't continue to change and grow as an artist, but I think really finding your sound, a sound that people, that's, that makes you stand out, that people, you know, cling to is important. And 
I've learned that not every genre, even though I love so many genres, are meant for me. So, you know, I think like it's good to find your wheelhouses of what your voice is meant for, especially. And I've had a lot of people push me creatively. Even now, I'm still being pushed. And I think even with this upcoming stuff I'm working on, I have pushed my genre even more to like what is really what I've, I've had all along that I wasn't able to really like show the world. Um, I think being in that cover band was cool because I got to learn and practice so many people's other songs, which is a good way to start. Um, and then with the, you know, SoundCloud and Sorry X, when I started that, I was completely anonymous. Just I wanted to not worry about my friends and family listening. And I kind of just messed around with different genres and stuff. But I really, I growing up just always felt like hip hop and rock and roll were like my favorite that I just came back to every time. And that's kind of what I ended up um, putting together. And definitely has like a lot of influences, but been cool one of the things i want to point out is the fact that you mentioned that you almost did it anonymously where you didn't really tell anybody in your personal social circle about this project and i thought that was a very smart idea because we can get into these essentially social bubbles if you will of our our people which not only can give us biased feedback in general, right? We always need encouragement from our peers, right? And from friends, family, whatever the case is, we're always, you know, we, we need people in our lives that will help give us that, that positive encouragement to do what we want to do. However, on the flip side is that if those are the only people that you're relying on, on feedback, it's going to be biased. Either they're going to be overly critical or they're just not going to be critical enough because they're not really giving you a true perspective on whether people are going to really listen to it or not. And to me, I feel like that can also be a crutch where you're just relying on that and that alone for people to come out to your shows or to listen to music and so forth. And you can get stuck in that rut where if you went completely on the opposite direction and put it out there to complete strangers, not only are you getting a true opinion of your music because they don't know who you are, so they're going to like it or not like it. But then also, are those people actually excited enough to come and see you perform at a show? They're willing to actually take the time and money to go and actually see you perform rather than trying to like, you know, beg your coworker or family member to just come and show up just because you need people to fill up the room. Yeah, I think there's benefits and downsides to both. I think I'm really glad with how my journey started in that. And it did validate me knowing that strangers who didn't have to tell me they liked it did like it. I think that showed that there was a market for my music, that there was an audience who did enjoy it. Um, I do think that regardless, especially like there's a big conversation now of like not all people who blow up online can sell tickets to shows or are ready to perform on giant stages yet. It takes time to craft those skills and it can be super nerve wracking. Um, so I think there's kind of a balance and, you know, everyone has a different journey. But um, I think it's been an interesting thing kind of blowing up online and then translating that to the real world. Um, I think. I've gotten in a really good flow of it now and especially the past year that's mostly what I've been working on since I was doing all this during COVID and then I hadn't really played shows at Sorry X. Past year's really been focusing on playing those shows, kind of building up that fan base and, you know, showing them that I can play live too. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, either way, it's just kind of work, what worked out for me. So It's interesting that you mentioned that too because some something that I've not personally witnessed yet, but I've heard a number of people mention about uh, new audience members going to shows is that sometimes they're, especially if it's a TikTok famous artist, they would go just to hear the one part of one particular song 
they will record it on their phone to show that they were there, and then they would leave. And I, <laughs> I, have you heard about this? I have heard about this, yeah. So, okay. So, I find this really interesting because you're right. There is a little bit of a difference between your online fans and then people who go actually see see your performance in person. And I, I don't honestly feel like it's neither good or bad. It's more or less that this is how pe some people are consuming the music. And it's a very interesting thing to think about where, okay, if this is what people are going to be doing, or at least a certain group of people are going to be doing, is this something that, that we need to to accommodate or is it something that we need to showcase that hey there's more to the artist than just that one particular clip and then how do we captivate that audience to want to stay for the entire performance or do do we have it now where an artist goes on stage plays the one song that everybody knows and then they go off right i find it's like a really interesting trend that i've been seeing lately of audience members going to shows and just you know staying there for that one thing and then just heading out yeah, totally. Um, and it's a great question. You know, there's also the thing, too, where there's plenty of artists who are amazing and, you know, have some of the best performances live, but they're not comfortable on camera or they don't really know how to show their personality. I feel like yep. I find myself somewhere in the middle. Um, so it is a hard thing. Um, and I think everyone in the industry is scrambling to answer that question right now. I think it's been... Um, Again, I feel like I'm in the middle, so it's been kind of nice. I think, you know, I prided myself on putting a really good live show together, but it took time and it I'm still my live show is still getting better. Um, but I love performing too. That's the other thing. There's some artists who prefer kind of being in the studio. I, I kind of love everything, but I do love being on stage and I just love I don't know. I kind of think of it as like a stand up, you know, I like to make people laugh a little bit. So. Right. Cause it is an experience. And I think that's something that artists need to understand is that when somebody comes to your show, it, it is an experience. One of the things that I'm a bit, uh, an unpopular opinion about is a uh, usage of phones at shows in just in general, where the, there are artists and others in music industry in general feel that you should, that's very disrespectful to the artist. And to me, yes, I do agree with that, that you're being disrespectful, not paying attention. But to be honest, on the other side is that if the artist is not doing a performance that's really captivating their attention, is it whose fault is it? Is it the artist that's not giving a, uh, an engaging performance that people are going to want to be a part of and be separate from their phones? Or is it the problem with the audience for just easily taking out their phone and just doing something else and not even paying attention to what's going on. Right. I think that's the interesting dynamic and the questions that should be truly asked is that how do I keep the attention of the audience, you know, and maybe that is through the phone. I mean, I've seen so many artists and I love when they do this is that if somebody has their phone out and taking recording, they'll grab the phone and then like, like they'll turn around things like they're, they're actually engaging with them on the way that they prefer to be engaged, which is capturing the moment. And I think that is a great compromise where there is they're still engaged with the artist, the artist is, is and the artist is is connecting with them in the way that they prefer, but only those that have their phones out, and then others that don't have their phones out, they're engaging with them in a very different way. Yeah, totally. I feel like there's an extent to everything where I feel like the best concerts I've ever been to, I barely take out my phone or I forget to take out my phone, and that is a goal, you know. I think on the other flip side of that is that especially smaller artists, you know, they kind of they need fans to be, you know, at least getting a little bit of video, sharing it online, being like, check out this artist, come support them. 
So it is a tough thing, it really is. But I, I do not like being behind all the phone screens sometime where I'm like, put your phone down. <laughs> right, exactly. Because you don't you're not getting you're not getting the energy from from the audience. You know, and you're not even getting that response from them to seeing like, okay, are they are they really energetic and excited about what I'm doing? Are they really are they bored? Like like what what is their reaction? Because you are you are changing, you know, it, it's an ever evolving process when you're going through even just a single performance on what the audience is like. Cause you always work the room, right? You always work right. with who you, who's, who's the audience in the room and trying to, like you said, either make them laugh or just get them to move right, move, get them to move closer to the stage make them, you know, dance, whatever the case is, right? Well, however you're trying to interact with them, you're finding what way resonates with that particular audience. Mm-hmm. Totally. So another thing that you mentioned, of course, is, you know, especially with online is, is to connect for people to get to know who you are as a person. And I know that's not always easy to do, but one thing that I really liked about what you do, and because this is something very personal to me, is the gaming aspect. Uh, I understand that you're a gamer. I'm a big gamer too. And I love that you have incorporated that culture into your branding as REX, including into the music itself. So was that always the original plan or was that something that you developed later on? Yeah, it wasn't really part of any plan. Um, it just kind of happened. <laughs> I am a huge gamer. I always have been. And I think it's natural to be inspired by the things that you involve yourself around, you know, and there are some video games that, you know, they spend eight plus years working on. So it's some of the best art you're ever going to experience. And I think that's just awesome to try and incorporate that and feel inspired by that and I do everything I do. I try to just do the best of my ability. And somehow I just ended up having a few songs named after video games uh, when I started out. So I had one called Harvest Moon that <laughs> is no longer yes. online. Um, it was just one I uh, wrote really quickly, but I do love Harvest Moon games. And um, then I kind of just got inspired by the idea of not only loving video games, but how I kind of like aspire to be a video game character. Like, I don't know. I just, I've had fans say that they could see me being in a video game or something. And I think that's kind of fun. And that's kind of another reason why my last EP was inspired by all of that. But also because my fans, a lot of them are across the world and they're experiencing me online, you know? So it's like, kind of am a video game character to them. I haven't met them in person yet. I'm not real yet to them. I mean, in a way, but um i just think it was cool that you know online rockstar was like i'm doing all this and i'm doing it with my keyboard you know absolutely and and again it's it's that connection right we 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 connect to characters we we feel for them especially especially a really great character we feel for them through their entire journey and it's essentially that connection that you're developing where it may not necessarily be a personal connection but they but they are still connected to you through your music and through everything else that you're putting out there yeah, 100%. I couldn't agree more. So speaking of music, one of the things that uh, I want definitely want to know more about is your growth on Spotify has been incredible. I mean, within a couple of years, you went up to over 73,000 monthly uh, monthly listeners. And then on top of that, too, your top song is, is two point, over 2.4 million. And it's, a number of songs are at that level, which is incredible, by the way. Absolutely amazing. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how you developed that growth over time? Yeah, I mean, it's still pretty mind-blowing to me. Um, I think there's so many things that go into it. Um, some of it's the right place at the right time. Um, 
And some of it is just, I think I'm at the point where I put a lot of emotion and individuality into my music. And I think that does, um, you know, translate to my audience. Uh, I did a lot of marketing, but it was like grassroots, you know, just like making videos and posting them online. And at the time, TikTok was not around yet, which is makes you sound old, but TikTok's <laughs> been around a few years. It's true. Um, so SoundCloud was like still big, but it was kind of not as big as like after Little Pete passed away. And I was just kind of using Twitter mostly to just post my videos online. And I had um, a few Twitter videos that kind of like got retweeted and did pretty well, which I, which I think helped. It's been kind of just, I've learned over the years of going really hard with my marketing at every single song. And then my top ones continue to grow. And that's kind of, it wasn't like one song took off immediately. And I think that's another thing to, teach smaller artists is that your discography is will always be around for the most part and they still have value it doesn't a song on tiktok can blow up now it can blow up in 10 years and if you drop a song that you think is amazing you can still market it whenever it doesn't mean i mean obviously there's market fatigue and things like that but it doesn't mean that your if your song doesn't blow up immediately that it won't get discovered by someone important at a certain time and um yeah, I think it's just been continual effort with all of my songs and consistency of like keeping fans coming back, you know, just has helped those other songs grow. Absolutely. Do you remember, was there any particular, particular marketing tactic that you used consistently amongst all the singles that you dropped or did you change it every single time? Um, I have done some things consistently and then I've mixed it up. Uh, I feel like you never really know what's going to work or not, but I always try to... I always put a lot of effort into cover art. I do think that having a stunning visual is important. Um, I think that having some type of video where I'm, you know, like performing the song is important. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just try to do something new every time too. I think that I'm like, oh, they're never going to see this coming. Like things that I get excited about too. I just kind of get random ideas and I'm like, all right, I'm doing this. But yeah, I, I definitely encourage anyone to, you know, who would, if you, especially if you don't have a team yet to look into like marketing classes or just watching videos online, uh, maybe on YouTube, um, it's definitely important. Absolutely. So one of the things also that uh, was very impressed about, which I'm sure also has helped with your Spotify growth is an, you've done a number of collaborations already, which is also very, very impressive. I mean, names like, you know, Frank Zumo from some 41 Titus, like, and you know, there's actually quite a bit of list now. Can you talk about how that came about that you were able to, to have those collaborations with these people? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it was just being consistent and I kind of ended up just making friends who knew friends and then people kind of just discovered me and liked what I did. I think a lot of it is being genuine and I never expect anyone to work with me, but I'm always like, hey, if you're down, I think you'd be amazing on this song. I do intentionally, when I'm writing songs, know if I'm gonna have a feature or not. And I do think who would sound amazing on this. Um, it's definitely been a growth of like people finding out who I am and then, you know, more opportunities open up. Uh, Frank Zuma one was kind of like the most wild one and definitely made me fangirl, but that's just because um, he actually heard me on a podcast. So that was not like a, mutual connection or anything that was just he wow. heard my music and really liked it um and he's you know he has a solo project and stuff so he reached out to me and just said like we should work sometime we ended up uh i think on zoom or something and you know we just really connected and then it was like it's been awesome working with him and i do consider him like a good friend in the industry he's been super super awesome to work with and like even now 
I just feel like I can't thank him enough for how just like genuine he's been. And he does a lot for like School of Rock and things like that, which I think is super cool. And That's Titus, really cool. Yeah. And Titus too, I actually, I think Titus and I knew who each other were. Um, sometimes I've found friends from TikTok too. Like they'll, we'll come across each other's page or whatever. And I think there's, there's nothing wrong with reaching out to artists. Like a lot of them may not see it, but especially starting out, as long as you're not being, um, you know, if, as long as you're being respectful, there's nothing wrong with that. And Titus actually, I think mostly heard of me from Frank Zumo as well though. So it kind of all came together. That's a big part of the industry is that one thing can let leads to another thing, leads to another thing, leads to another thing and so forth. And so, and that's, that's the thing is that if they didn't like your music, they wouldn't re reach out to you. If you didn't put yourself out there and be on a podcast, they wouldn't have even discovered you. So it's a combination of discovery and making great music. But then on top of that too, of course, is that the yourself as a person, right? If you are a pain or you're somebody that is a trouble is a problem to work with, you wouldn't be get recommendations for, you know, to other people, or they would not want to continue having a relationship with you moving forward. So it's being also being kind and being professional and doing all those things is what's going to help snowball essentially into doing more and more opportunities. I see that all the time. A hundred percent. And I think part of that is, you know, you mentioned the word professional and that's, that's the thing is that when you get to a certain level, your artistry does become a business and you are operating as an entrepreneur, as a, a freelance, you know, business person. And there's so much that goes into it. It is so time consuming, but you have to remain professional. And there's, you know, there's ways things work and just, you know, respecting people's time and efforts and things like that. So we'll wrap this up here. Uh, I do have a couple of uh, quick questions for you. Uh, first one is, uh, what was the first concert that you ever went to? You know, that's such a weird one because I don't actually remember my like first concert and I wish I did. But my first concert I went to without my parents uh, was Foster the People. So. Ooh, that's a good one. It I was like really good. One. Yeah, I caught a little paper airplane from them off stage and I was just like, yes. Oh, cool. <laughs> do you still have it? Uh, I do. I'm not sure where it is. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta find it. What is your go-to song to sing in the car? my go-to mm, self-esteem by the offspring Ooh, that's a good one i like yeah. that one too <laughs> if you were to give only one piece of advice to anybody in the music industry or in this case specifically artists what would that one piece of advice be i, can, I don't know if i can just sum it up in one piece um i would say be kind um and have faith in yourself and your artistry you have to be your number one fan and uh, don't give up. All good things. Well, thank you so, so much for being on the podcast. It's, you know, again, so impressed by everything you're doing. So keep on killing it out there. And uh, again, really appreciate connecting with you again. Thank you so much. It was nice hanging out. Thank you so much for listening to Creatives Prevail. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others or leave us a review. They are an immense help. Now go out there and make something happen.